This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Well, open your Bibles this morning to Colossians. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's page 983. You want to follow along in the ESV, which is what I'll be preaching from. We are, if you're new, we're in the midst of a series where we're walking through Paul's letter to the Colossians. And if you'll remember, when we first started this, I I mentioned the fact that I was going to try to memorize this entire book, all four chapters of it. And it was really great. This past week, probably at least three people came up to me and uh, told me about the progress that they were making and how God was really using your attempt to memorize the whole book of the Bible, how he was using that to great profit in your life. And so if you're doing that, come up and share that with me. Tell me what God is doing in your life as we study Colossians together, or maybe as you're trying to to memorize this book of the Bible. When we are memorizing longer portions of a book like this, it's important, you, you know, you can memorize like a verse a day, which is a great way to keep up, but then if it's a longer portion, like a whole book, then you want to go back sometimes and just review. So this week was sort of my review week to kind of go back over the, the area that we've covered so far in Colossians. And as I tried to memorize all of the first chapter, it was remarkable to me how it just sort of it just sort of flows, long, flowing types of sentences. It's almost like it could be put to music. And that's interesting because many scholars believe that the text that we're going to study today was one of the first hymns, that verses 15 through 20 was actually one of the early hymns that the, the early Christians would, would, would sing. Colossians is beautiful and it's lyrical. And we see that as we go through. Well, we're talking today about who Jesus is. That this text is all about the identity of Christ. Who is Jesus? Let's begin with verse 13 and follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. Paul says of Jesus that He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then we come to what was probably this this early Christian hymn. It's all about the identity of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this passage of Scripture today, which gives us such an exalted portrait 
of our Savior. We pray that we would come to know Jesus better. Even if we've walked with Jesus for, for many years, we pray that we would come to know Him in a deeper way today. And Father, I pray for anyone here who has not yet come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. Father, I pray that today, that by the power of Your Spirit, You would open the eyes of their hearts to see who Jesus is and to trust Him with their life and their eternity. Lord, these are precious, crucial moments together as we study Your Word. Speak to us now through it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most powerful conversions, one of the most powerful confessions of Christ occurs at the foot of the cross. Mark tells us about it in his Gospel. It's one of the Roman soldiers, a centurion. And in the 15th chapter of Mark, we read that as this Roman soldier who who stood facing Jesus, facing the cross, the Bible says that as he stood facing Jesus and seeing how Jesus drew his last breath, that this centurion cried out, truly this man was the Son of God. It was a stunning confession. I mean, this man had been raised as a a pagan who didn't know God. He, He had... He had, he had seen death many times. And in fact, he'd seen many people crucified before. Jesus was not the first. And he had inflicted death on many people and seen death many times. But there was something about Jesus, something about the way that he died. Maybe it was his tenderness in the midst of such terror. Maybe it was his composure on the cross. Maybe it was his forgiveness of his enemies as he was hanging on the cross. But, 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 but the Spirit, as he sees how Jesus dies, the Holy Spirit just opened the eyes of this man's heart to see who Jesus really is. That's what this text is all about. It's about who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, first of all, we see here that Jesus is the Redeemer. The Redeemer. Look at verses 13 and 14. The Bible says that that, that Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In the summer of 1990, I spent that summer in Kitchener, Ontario, uh, helping with a fledgling church plant up there, and in my free time that summer, I was I was really beginning to to just be more hungry to learn about what salvation was all about. I knew that Jesus had had, had saved me. I knew that I was a new creation in Christ, but I wanted to know more. I wa- I wanted to know what had happened to me, and I, and so I that summer I really plunged into the Book of Romans because it really kind of unfolds the whole doctrine of salvation and and. And to answer the question, God, what, what has happened to me? What have you done in my life? These two verses really answer that question as well. Verses 13 and 14 are about what has happened to us as believers. First of all, he says here that, 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 that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness. That word delivered means to liberate, to rescue. As a Jew, Paul had been raised on the Exodus story 
where God delivered, God rescued the children of Israel from bondage in, in Egypt. But now he, he is saying that, that, that God has, has given us an, an, even, an even greater liberation, an even greater rescue because he's liberated us from something that would ultimately lead to, ultimately lead to hell, and that is our sins. He has delivered us from the, 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 the domain of darkness and sin. And, and, and what else? Verse 13. And transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. That word transferred was a word that was used to speak of, of re, when a people were uh, removed from one country and settled as citizens of another country. In May of 1991, the largest human airlift in history took place. That month, Ethiopia's Jews were facing extinction. They were caught between a bloody civil war on one hand and a famine on the other hand. And and, and thousands of these Jewish people in Ethiopia were about to die. But there was an, an Ethiopian-born officer in the Israeli Air Force named Ezra Solomon who had a dream of his people, Ethiopian Jews, being relocated to Israel. And so for months, uh, the Israelis planned this. And they, uh, they gathered these, these Ethiopian Jews from all of their rural Villages and, and, and brought them into the, the Ethiopian city of uh, Addis Ababa. And it was there, May 23rd, 1991, just as rebel forces were encircling the city, and they would have prevented these people from leaving had they been successful, just as they were closing in on the city, 33 Israeli jets swooped out of the sky, unmarked planes, jumbo planes, specially designed. All the seats had been taken out of them so more people could be fit, fitted within them. Almost three dozen Israeli planes landed. Israeli soldiers dressed as civilians with Uzi machine guns and school backpacks went to the, the refugee center where these people were in the city, gathered them, to, them together, got them on buses, took them to the airport, and within minutes, between 14 and 15,000 Ethiopian Jews had been put on these 33 planes. Most of these rural people had never even seen an airplane before, let alone flown on one. One of the planes had, uh, had over 1,000 people on board. The flight from Addis Ababa to Tel Aviv is about three hours and 20 minutes. During the three-hour and 20-minute flight, doctors delivered seven babies on board the planes. When they got to Israel, there were tears of joy. Soldiers were crying. The pilots were crying. The, the, the Ethiopians were crying. They were kissing the ground in Israel. Because they had just been transferred from a place where they were hated and where they were facing imminent death to a country that loved them and welcomed them as citizens 
with open arms. You know, and Paul is saying here that as believers, our story is that we have been transferred from the, the dark rule of Satan to the loving and wise kingship of Christ. And it says that he is God's beloved son. It echoes the words from Jesus' baptism where God says, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And those who are united to Christ, the Father loves the way that He loves His beloved Son because we are now united to His beloved Son. Verse 14 speaks about that union that we have with Christ. It says there, uh, in whom uh, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Him, in, in Christ, by virtue of our union with Christ by faith. What do we have in that? We, we have, and we have it as a present possession. We have redemption. It's a beautiful word. It, it means release by means of a payment. And of course, the payment that Christ made for us was the payment that He made with His own blood. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot. He is the Redeemer. Second, who is Jesus? He's the Creator. The Creator. Verse 15 Paul says he is the image of the invisible God. In Jesus, the invisible becomes visible. The word image here denotes likeness. Likeness. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says this of Jesus. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That, that word imprint there was, was used for a coins that would have the image of the emperor on the coin. It could also be used for like a reflection in a mirror. When we look at Jesus, we're seeing the, a mirror image of God. He is the light, he reveals the, the likeness of God. And, and he, he manifests the very, the very nature and the very being of, of, of God. John chapter 1 and verse 18 says this, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, that's Jesus, He has made Him known. If you want to know God, you get to know Jesus. This is why it's so important for us to immerse ourselves in the Gospels, and one of the most effective things we can do is we're, as you're sharing Christ with, the, with, with, with unsaved friends and, and family members is to, is to invite them to, to read the New Testament and especially to, to read the Gospels. The Gospel of John is a, is a great one to start with. The Bible says this at the end of the Gospel of John. It says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in His name what else do we see here about the identity of Christ as the creator? What does it say at the, at the end of verse 15? It says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Now, when he says that Jesus is the firstborn, he is not saying that somehow uh, Jesus is a, a, a created being. 
the Greek word here for firstborn is talking about rank. It's talking about privileges. It's comparing the, the privileges of Christ with the privileges, the rank of a firstborn son. Certainly not saying that Jesus was somehow a, 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 a created being. That was the heresy of a group called the Arians in the 3rd and 4th centuries A.D. and modern Arians today, like Jehovah's Witnesses who believe that Jesus was a created being. No, Jesus was not created. Jesus was there in the beginning. There was never a time when Jesus was not. John chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Christ pre-existed with the Father from before the foundation of the world. And, and He was the Father's agent in, 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 in speaking the world into existence. John chapter 1 and verse 3 says, All things were made through Him, through Jesus. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Anything that is in the made category... <laughs> was made by Christ. And so therefore Christ is not in the made category. He is the maker. Jesus is the, the, the creator. And Jesus is the sustainer. Look at verses 16 and 17. It says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. These are references to the rankings of, of angelic beings. All things, all things in heaven and on earth were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Christ not only created the world, but Christ is sustaining the world. Again, Hebrews 1.3 says of, 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 uh, of Jesus that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, it's very important that, and very encouraging that we understand that when we see things happening in the news and it seems like things are just going from bad to worse and spiraling out of control, and it's very important that we understand that's not going to happen. And it's not going to happen for one reason, because Jesus Christ is upholding the universe by the word of his power. Because in him all things hold together, and God is moving history toward his appointed end. God has a plan, and God's plan cannot be stopped. It's in control. And as believers, he's, that's the case in our lives. As well, when things seem to be going out of control in life, sometimes when trials come, it's very important that we understand. But no, um, it didn't surprise the Lord. He's in control. He loves us, and His plan for our lives is going to be carried out. It cannot be stopped. He's going to sustain that. And so, part of the hope that we have and part of the evidence that we have that God has a plan for the world is what he has done in the gospel. What we see in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and then what we see in the foundation of the church of Christ, which is where Paul is moving next. Look at verse 18. He says, and he is the head of the body 
the church in the midst of this broken, fallen world. God is calling out a people to belong to Him. The church, the ecclesia, the called out ones of God. Earlier in 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks of the the church as the body of Christ. But in Colossians and Ephesians, he talks about the fact that Christ is the head of the body. And just as we get our nourishment for our body through the head, as we get guidance and direction through the head, it's that way with the the church. We receive our our nourishment from Christ, our, our guidance and direction from Christ. And one of the things that Christ has directed us to do as a church is to proclaim the gospel. He has chosen us for Himself that we would be a people on mission, proclaiming, telling the world who He is. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And so as we proclaim the gospel, And as people come to Christ, God is making a new creation. Every time someone comes to know the Lord, there's a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And not only are we seeing new creation happen as people are saved, but also God is eventually going to Create, bring about a complete restoration, a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth of this world in a larger sense, which is where he's moving next. He says that Jesus is the redeemer, he's the creator, and then we see that Jesus is the conqueror, the conqueror. Verses 19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, we've seen that Jesus is the creator. But we also look around us and we see that that much of the creation is in rebellion against the creator. And, of course, this has produced untold pain and misery. In the world. In Romans 8, Paul describes it this way. He says that the whole creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth because of sin. The groaning is because of sin. This is not the world of Genesis 1 that God looked at and He created it and He said it's good. We're living in the world of Genesis 3, right? This is a a world of thorns and, and thistles and sin. And, and, and wars and lust and greed and power grabbing and tsunamis and cancer cells and earthquakes. It, the creation is groaning. But it's not always going to be so. It's not always going to be so. Because God has done something. 
God has acted in love, in the middle of history. The Creator comes to His creation. God becomes man. And in love, He takes the evil, the burdens of the world upon Himself, atones for them so that new creation can take place. And that's what the gospel is all about. Colossians chapter 2 and verses 13 and 14. Colossians, David, could you bring me the water, please? Thank you. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. Thank you. Paul says here, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now, those verses describe the forgiveness that is made possible through Christ. Each of us as sinners has a sin debt that we could never pay, We were being crushed beneath the burden of that debt. But what happened? In love, Christ came, Christ who had no sin, took our sins upon Himself, paid for them, paid for them in full on the cross. Jesus cried out to Telestai, paid in full, so that we could be forgiven, redeemed. Okay, our, the, that, that debt has been blotted out. It's been nailed to the cross, done away with. So, He has provided for the salvation of all who will trust in Him. But Jesus also did something else on the cross and in, in a larger sense, and we see that at the end in verse 15. It says that on the cross, He disarmed the rulers and authorities, these are demonic powers, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. On the cross, Jesus defeated Satan and demonic powers. Now, one day they're going to be destroyed completely, but they are already defeated. Very important that we understand this. And so our situation today is kind of like in World War II between D-Day and VE Day. One of the most moving experiences of my life was visiting the American Military Cemetery at Omaha Beach in France, where the D-Day landings took place, where all those American soldiers are buried that were killed on D-Day. By the end of that day, June 6, 1944, the Allies had established a beachhead in Western Europe, and and Hitler's doom was sealed. It was really sealed that day. Once the beachhead had been established, it was very clear what the eventual outcome of the war was going to be. However, between D-Day in June of 1944 and VE Day, which was May 8, 1945, almost a year later, there was tremendous fighting that took place. Because even though Hitler's doom was sealed, he was going to wreak all of the havoc that he could. 
before he died. That's really the situation that we're in today as believers. Satan's doom is sealed. It was sealed at the first coming of Christ by the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. The outcome is not in doubt. Satan is going to be utterly destroyed, and he is going to be utterly destroyed when Christ comes again, which is what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's look at that. 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 24 and following. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so on that day when Christ comes again, Philippians 2 tells us, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, for those who have trusted in Christ as Savior in this life, that is going to be our highest moment of joy. For those who have rejected Christ, that is going to be the moment of deepest dread because they're going to be bowing before their judge. You see, we can bow before Jesus now as our Savior, or eventually one day we will bow before him as judge. I pray that if you haven't already, that you will bow the knees of your heart before Jesus as Savior, that you will welcome him into your life, that you will will lay down your arms and stop, Stop your rebellion. Stop running from God and begin to run toward Him. And there is no coming to know God apart from Christ, apart from the Son. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. No other name but Jesus. There is one mediator between God and man. That's the man Christ Jesus. Do you know Him today? Have you trusted in Christ? He's done everything necessary for you to be saved. We see it at the end of verse 20. He, 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 has made, he has made it possible for us to be at peace with God. How? By the blood of his cross. <clears throat> you know, in most kingdoms, everything is done to protect the king. I mentioned D-Day a moment ago. One of the things that happened in the lead-up to, to D-Day is that the British Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, he wanted to accompany uh, his, his troops to the battle. Churchill wanted to, wanted to be on one of the British battleships on D-Day. Well, General Eisenhower, the supreme commander of the Allied forces, knew that, cannot, that could not happen. Because if, it, if Churchill went on one of these ships in the English Channel, uh, he could possibly, Churchill could possibly be killed, which would really precipitate a, a, a crisis. And so Eisenhower told Churchill, listen, you, you, you really... Uh, you, he tried to dissuade him from, from going, but Churchill, headstrong, he was determined that he was going to go and be on board one of, those, one of those ships. And so Eisenhower went to the king of England, and he told him what, that Churchill wanted to be on one of these ships and the problems that that would create if uh, Churchill were injured or killed or, or whatever. And the king said, I know how to handle this. No problem. 
And so the king went to Churchill and he said, Winston, you know, if you go into uh, the battle on board one of these ships, that it's my duty to go along with you as well. Well, Churchill immediately backed away because he knew that he couldn't do anything to subject the king to danger or death. You see, in kingdoms, everything is done to protect the king. But in Christianity, it was the opposite. In Christianity, in order for our salvation to be secured, the king had to come and die. The king had to take our sins upon himself and atone for them on the cross. On the cross, Jesus paid a king's ransom, his life for the life of his people, us. He wore a crown of thorns so that all who trust him can one day receive a crown of life. Have you trusted him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the amazing love that you have given us in Christ. Father, we thank you that rather than clinging to the rightful glory that was his, grasping a hold of that, we thank you that in love that Jesus let go of that and came to us, came to rescue us, came to deliver us from the domain of darkness to, to his kingdom. Father, thank you for so great a salvation. So we just continue to pray. Listen, I would ask you today, do you know this Savior? Have you turned to him? Have you trusted in him? Have you welcomed him into your life? as your Savior, as your King. You can do it right now. Turn to Jesus. Trust Him today as your Savior and Lord. And Jesus tells us that, that when we turn to Him and trust Him, that it's not something that, that is to remain a secret. That Jesus says if it's real, we'll confess Him openly before others. In just a moment, we're going to have a song of invitation. I want to give you the opportunity to to do that. I'm going to be right here at the front. Just come and, and share with me that you're giving your life to Jesus Christ. And we want to come alongside you and encourage you and support you and welcome you. We'll set up a day for you to be baptized as a new believer. You come today. Or maybe you want to say today that you want to be a part of this church family. We want to invite you to come. And you would say, I want to be a part of this church family and we want to plan our lives here and, 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 and grow and learn and, and, and be a part of what God is doing at First Baptist. We want to invite you to come today. Or if you've just got a, a need for prayer, you want someone to pray with, you're invited to come. Pray with one of our pastors. Come pray at the altar. So, Father, we give you this time of invitation now. Lord, would you move and work in hearts as you desire in these vital moments together. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and you be on your way with your decision. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, 
Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. Amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.